Hail and health to you. Welcome to Renegade Files, where together we explore the paranormal, the unsolved, and the conspiratorial. I'm your host, Lex Gordon, generating a wireless transmission from the Jungle Villa Outpost deep in the uncharted tropics. This is Renegade Files episode 30, Nikola Tesla, and this is the first episode of Renegade Files season 2. Thank you so much for being a part of the 29 episodes we did in our first year on the air, and thanks for joining us now as we launch into our second season. This season, we will dive even deeper into the conspiracy sphere. There is much fun to come here on Renegade Files, and I am so happy to have you as an important part of it. And speaking of those who are a part of the show, this episode topic, Nikola Tesla, was suggested by Renegade Files superfans Jennifer and Tom, and I want to thank Jennifer for the Tesla episode idea, and her and Tom for supporting Renegade Files by buying gear from our merchandise shop. You too can be cool like them by visiting our secure online shop through the link in the show notes or on our website at therenegadefiles.com. Get some Renegade Files gear, help the show, and represent the finest paranormal brand in the multiverse. If you have an idea for a show or want to connect with me and other Renegade Files fans, do so on our Instagram page, which is at Renegade Files. Instagram adds a visual component to the audio world of podcasting, so they work well together. If you are a Renegade Files agent on Patreon, and thank you so much if you are, you can also leave me a comment on any of the posts there. Join us on patreon.com slash renegadefiles to get more Renegade Files content and to help keep the show going. The link is in the show notes. So Nikola Tesla is responsible for much of our modern world as we know it. AC electricity, wireless communication, and more. He made and lost fortunes, feuded with the likes of Thomas Edison and J.P. Morgan, and in the end, died penniless. He was a genius of pure passion who, unfortunately, lacked the business skills or image management inclinations that may have saved him and his ideas. In this episode of Renegade Files, we dive deep into the inventions, misadventures, and enemies of one of history's brightest and least understood men, Nikola Tesla. Was he a misunderstood and eccentric genius whose lack of business skill resulted in the delays, shelving, and disappearances of most of his important work? Was he, as the newspaper of the day proclaimed, a dangerous mad scientist with the potential to destroy the entire world? Or was he a true pioneer and futurist far ahead of his time, whose paradigm-shifting views on delivering electricity and free energy put him at odds with the powerful and ruthless robber barons of the day? Fire up your Tesla coil set the time machine for the late 1800s and join the Renegade Files crew as we explore the miraculous, troubled, and conspiracy-riddled life of Nikola Tesla. Nikola Tesla. Nikola Tesla. Nikola Tesla. Nikola Tesla. Part 1. Tesla's Early Life. 
a brief bio. Nikola Tesla was born on 10 July 1856 and died at 86 on January the 7th, 1943. He was a Serbian-American inventor, engineer, and futurist who held 200 patents and invented the AC electrical current distribution that powers the world today. His father was a priest and his mother, the daughter of a priest, was a very bright person by all accounts. She could memorize long book passages and Serbian epic poems, and she invented and built various homemade tools and mechanical devices that she used around the house. In 1870, Tesla moved to Karlovac, Croatia to live with his aunt and his uncle. His uncle was a retired Croatian army colonel nicknamed Old Warhorse. From what I could tell, Tesla made this move to be closer to a high school, and by high school, Tesla could perform integral calculus equations in his head, and this caused him to be accused of cheating by some early teachers. But one teacher, his math and physics teacher, Martin Sekulik, eventually realized Tesla wasn't cheating, and that teacher went on to have a deep influence on Nikola by showing him some of his physics and electrical experiments. After finishing four years of high school in three years, Tesla returned home before attending school to become a priest, which was what his father wanted him to do. But Tesla had been fascinated by demonstrations of electricity by his math and physics teacher while away at school and wanted to become an engineer. This caused tension between Tesla and his father, but finally Tesla agreed to become a priest as his father wished. But before he could go to priest school, Tesla caught cholera, which is a serious disease, and he was bedridden for nine months and nearly died several times. It was in this time of illness that Tesla's father told his ailing son that if he lived, he would pay for him to attend any school he wished to study any subject he desired. Tesla tells us in his diaries that following this illness, he found he was able to visualize detailed and complex objects and systems in his mind. So vivid were these visualizations that he initially had the impulse to reach out and touch the things he saw. Later in life, Tesla would describe designing, building, and testing entire electrical or mechanical machines through this visualization technique. He said he was able to run multiple tests on the imagined equipment and see the results in three-dimensional space. In this way, Tesla was able to save countless hours and dollars where other inventors would have had to have built prototypes of their inventions. Tesla would only build a new device after creating it in his mind and running every conceivable test and scenario, and he claimed that once his devices were manufactured in real time and space, that they always performed exactly as he had imagined 100% of the time. So Tesla recovered from his illness and was preparing to select a university when the Austro-Hungarian army began to conscript young men for the war, so the draft. 
Fearing conscription, Tesla ran away from home and lived off the land in the woods, taking only some books, his hunting clothes, and a rifle. He emerged from the woods months later after learning that the army was no longer drafting recruits. He applied to the Imperial Royal Technical College in Graz, was accepted, earned a scholarship, but ultimately did not graduate. In his first year, he never missed a day. He got perfect grades, and he even started a Serbian culture club. He worked so hard in his first year that a staff member of the university actually sent a letter to Tesla's father, worrying that Tesla may exhaust himself and become ill due to his over-the-top work habits. In his second year, he got into several heated arguments with an engineering professor when Tesla suggested that one of the experimental machines in the electrical engineering lab contained unnecessary components and that it should be redesigned. Tesla became discouraged with the politics of the university, lost his scholarship, took up gambling, and left the school in his third year. And that is the really short version of that story. After leaving the Imperial Royal Technical College, Tesla traveled to Maribor, Slovenia, where he worked as a draftsman for an engineering firm. He spent his spare time playing chess and hanging out at a local pub until his father showed up and begged him to come home, but Tesla refused. Within a few months, Tesla was reported to the local police for living in Maribor without the proper residence permits, and Tesla was returned to his hometown under police guard. Now, I'm no expert on 19th century Slovenian residency laws, but this whole scenario seems suspicious to me. Remember, Nikola Tesla's father, Milutin Tesla, was a lifelong priest, and while he may not have been the most powerful man, he was certainly well-respected and somewhat socially connected, maybe even influential in some circles. He had paid for Nikola to go to school, helped him get a scholarship, and let him pursue engineering even though he really had wanted Nikola to become a priest. But then Nikola goes off, basically gets mad when he can't have his way at college, so he quits, starts gambling, moves to Slovenia, and starts working for some small company and hanging out in the pubs all the time. His father wasn't having it. He goes there, tries to get Tesla to come home, and Tesla says no. Then, a few months later, someone reports Tesla for breaking some rule and he gets arrested and taken home. Now, I've never read anything suggesting this, and it is totally my own idea, but I would not be surprised if Tesla's father had a hand in that whole thing. And here, at this time, we have some more strangeness, or at least some family disagreements. While Tesla was back in Gospic, two of his uncles, Pitar and Pavle, rescued him from police guard, orchestrated his escape, and helped him flee to Prague. He couldn't get into the university there because he didn't speak Czech, although he did speak multiple other languages, so he just unofficially attended some lectures, hung out in the library, and was otherwise to be found in the Nardoni Kavarna, or the People's Café. 
It's through his uncle Pavle that Tesla then got a job in 1881 with the Budapest Telephone Exchange in Hungary, where he worked as the chief electrician and made numerous improvements to their systems. By 1882, Tesla became obsessed with solving the problems surrounding AC power. He was convinced that AC power or alternating current was superior to DC or direct current, which was the dominant technology for electrical devices at that time. Tesla delved deep into the mental realm trying to solve the riddles that AC power presented until he literally suffered a nervous breakdown so severe that he became physically ill. His condition was grim, and he was not expected to live. But he did. After slowly recovering, he began to take walks with his friend, Anthony Segetti, with whom he was walking one afternoon through a park in Budapest when he froze, recited a passage from Faust, then drew a diagram in the sand with a stick. It was a diagram for a device that would generate electricity using a system of rotating magnetic fields. This diagram was what would become Tesla's electromagnetic motor, which is the basis for today's alternating current power systems. Tesla was 26 years old. In Tesla's words, the idea came like a flash of lightning, and in an instant the truth was revealed. I cannot begin to describe my emotions. Pygmalion seeing his statue come to life could not have been more deeply moved. A thousand secrets of nature which I might have stumbled upon accidentally, I would have given for that one which I had wrested from her against all odds, and at the peril of my existence. It was after this revelation that Tesla got a job with the Continental Edison Company in their Paris location. This was the international electrical company owned by Thomas Edison, and Tesla went to work to help bring electrical lighting to the suburbs around Paris. During this time, between 1882 and 1884, Tesla redesigned and improved several of Edison's electrical motors and generators. He also repaired a failed lighting system installed by the company for the German railway company in Strasbourg, but he was never paid the money he was promised for that job. This was to be the first in a long list of shafts given to Tesla from those for which he worked. Now, despite getting ripped off by the Continental Edison Company over the Strasbourg assignment, he did make some money working for them, and he used that money, and some more money given to him from his uncles, apparently Tesla had cool uncles, and he boarded a ship to sail to America. Among his belongings was a letter of recommendation from the manager of the Paris division of the Continental Edison Company addressed to Thomas Edison himself, suggesting that Edison hire Tesla. The closing of the letter read, I have only ever met two geniuses in my life. One is you, the other is this man. 
However, on the passage to New York, there was a mutiny aboard the ship. Tesla was nearly thrown overboard, but he convinced them he was Croatian and not French, and for whatever reason, that saved him. But the mutineers did take his money, and he got off the boat in New York with four cents and his letter to Edison. Tesla went to work for Edison, but Edison continually sent him to do menial jobs, and the two never got along. At one point, Edison promised Tesla $50,000 if he could, in fact, improve one of Edison's DC power systems like Tesla had said he could. Tesla went to work in his characteristic, obsessive manner. It is said that he worked every day from rising at 3 a.m. until going to sleep at 11 p.m. and only ever sleeping those four hours. So with little sleep and a relentlessly rigid work ethic, Tesla toiled away for weeks in Edison's lab. He spent hours visualizing systems, then testing those systems in his mind, then applying the results and remaking the machines to generate more and more electrical power given their inputs. In the end, Tesla refined Edison's DC power generator and improved its efficiency by three times. When Tesla presented this working improvement to Edison, Edison took the machine, registered a patent for it as his own, then never paid the money promised to Tesla. When Tesla went to Edison to ask again for this payment, Edison replied, you have a lot to learn about the American sense of humor, insisting that he had been joking about the $50,000. So, Tesla quit. Within a year, Tesla had investors who financed his startup of the Tesla Electric Company, and there he developed a much improved arc lighting system which was implemented as a vastly better and more efficient method of street lighting. Street lighting at the time was a really big deal. After completing this project, the investors forced Tesla out of his own company and he left, once again, with nothing. Tesla called this, quote, a time of headaches and bitter tears. Tesla was able to finally secure a patent for his alternating current system with the help of Alfred S. Brown, who was the director of Western Union, along with a New York attorney named Charles Peck. For their help and funding, Tesla gave these men 50% ownership of the patents. Tesla then built a decent operation selling the electrical generators he made. By 1889, Tesla had set up a lab on Grand Street in New York City, and there he began to work on his wireless electrical transmission ideas. That's the summary of who Tesla was and some of the things he accomplished leading up to and at the early stages of his time in America. With his Grand Street Lab and the success of his Tesla Electric Company, albeit small compared to Thomas Edison's businesses, Tesla began to explore the ideas which would eventually get him into trouble. Those of free distribution of electricity and free global wireless communication. Part 2. Tesla versus the Status Quo 
Tesla is quoted as saying, The practical success of an idea, irrespective of its inherent merit, is dependent on the attitude of the contemporaries. The attribution for that statement is from teslauniverse.com and it's dated 1910. I'm sure Tesla wasn't the first person to make that observation, but this was something that probably bothered him, although he understood it. As someone who had hundreds of new and unique ideas, he witnessed this over and over throughout his life. So it was clear that Tesla was way ahead of his time. He had developed an electrical system that was superior to the standards of the day, and those standards were being pursued by his competitors, Thomas Edison, and his partner, J.P. Morgan. Not exactly lightweights. And to call them Tesla's competitors is an understatement. Thomas Edison and J.P. Morgan had positioned their organizations to be the ones who would establish the standards for generating and delivering electricity to the nation, in fact, to the world, and enormous sums of money were at stake. Edison's company had the U.S. patent on the screw-in incandescent light bulb, among other things, and his company also built the DC power generators used to make the electricity. His business model was to sell his generators to municipalities, homeowners, and businesses. In his vision, every building would have an Edison generator in it, and every electric lamp would have an Edison light bulb in it. However, the Edison DC generators were big and bulky, about the size of a golf cart, and they were temperamental and expensive. But they did work to light up a building or an event, and Edison was making money selling them, and he was busy going about the business of expanding. Tesla had worked for Edison indirectly in Europe, then directly in the US, and the two had fallen out, mostly because Edison had ripped Tesla off, and in truth, Edison was probably insecure about having a guy way smarter than himself around. Edison used Tesla to get his DC generators improved, cheated him to get rid of him, but as far as jumping on Tesla's idea of delivering AC electricity to people without selling them all DC power boxes instead, forget it. And this whole story gets way more complex than just one guy with one idea and another guy with another idea. At the same time, we have JP Morgan in the mix as Edison's partner. J.P. Morgan owned the mines where the copper and silver and other metals used in Edison's equipment were mined. The metals mined by Morgan were also made into the endless miles of copper wire that everyone would have to buy to run electricity through every building. And J.P. Morgan owned the companies that produced the lighting fixtures that used Edison's bulbs. And not just the table and floor lamps, but the street lamps and all other kinds of outdoor lights. Now, we have to remember that at this time, the majority of homes and businesses were lit using oil lamps. Candles were still big too, especially in more rural areas. But oil lamps that burned mainly coal oil were common in homes and also for lighting city streets. Coal oil is also called kerosene. 
at the time the monopolistic producer of both coal oil and coal oil lamps was J.D. Rockefeller. Being the wealthiest man alive at the time, Rockefeller was stout competition for both Edison and Morgan and Tesla, as far as lighting the country was concerned. Rockefeller had the oil market sewn up and with it the lighting business. Everyone already had oil lamps. They worked, and people were used to them. No one fully understood this newfangled electricity then, and no one fully understands it now. Ask any electrical engineer. But Edison had succeeded in many ways to make electricity appealing. No more smoky lamps to light your house. No dangerous burning flames indoors, if all goes well anyway. And seeing a glowing light bulb would have been a miraculous thing to behold. The light bulb sold itself. It was the electricity to run it that was at issue. One of the first Edison DC power systems installed in a private home was put into J.P. Morgan's house. Morgan wanted this to work. He wanted people to believe it was safe, so what better way than to light his own house with electricity and keep it cool with electric fans spinning away? But the Edison DC generators were big and they were loud. And Morgan's house was big, it was a mansion. So that big of a generator was far too loud for Morgan to get any work done while they were running, so he had the device installed at the back corner of his garden in a building made just for it. Not only was Morgan's home a mansion, but the grounds were extensive, so the garden shed was hundreds of yards from the house. This required a large diameter cable of solid copper to transfer the electricity that far, but J.P. Morgan also owned the copper mine, so just do it. The copper cable ended up being something like three feet in diameter, and it cost a fortune even back then. So we start to see the impracticality for the everyday person to have an Edison generator in their house. Meanwhile, Tesla partnered with George Westinghouse of the Westinghouse Electric Corporation. Westinghouse, by the way, was a fierce rival of Edison. With this partnership, Tesla had finally found someone who treated him fairly, or who at least didn't totally cheat him at every turn. Westinghouse believed in Tesla, and he wanted to beat Edison to market, and he thought AC power was the way forward. He had already done some work with AC power already. It's at this point that Edison and J.P. Morgan launched a full-scale propaganda smear campaign against Tesla and AC power. Edison set up tours around the country where he put on demonstrations where they would use AC power to electrocute various animals like rabbits and stray dogs to prove how dangerous AC power was. But DC power can shock you too. It just takes higher volts to do damage to the central nervous system or the heart. But Edison goes around the country electrocuting animals to make Tesla's AC power proposals seem irresponsible and dangerous. At this same time, J.P. Morgan purchases the top 25 subscription newspapers and magazines in the U.S. and replaces many of the editors with his own people. This is when we start seeing articles casting Nikola Tesla as the crazed foreign criminal genius bent on destroying the world. 
He was painted as a mustache-twirling villain, and in fact, this became the prototype for our modern caricature of the mad scientist villain. When Edison was questioned by the Jerry Commission, who was in the process of shifting the death penalty executions in the U.S. away from hangings, Edison's report on how to best do this included building an electric chair that used not only AC power, but recommended using a Westinghouse generator. Edison also proposed that the authorities refer to execution by this device as being Westinghoused. <laughs> they didn't go for that, but still he tried. You can imagine Edison saying, and we should refer to this shocking a person to death business as being Westinghoused. And the boys were like, no, Edison, that's too far. We are well aware that Westinghouse is your biggest business rival. We're not going to call shocking a criminal to death being Westinghoused. It's out of the question. And Edison was probably like, okay, okay, fine. What about being Teslacuted? Through all of this slander and libel and general disinformation and corporate sabotage, Westinghouse and Tesla pressed on, and their feuds with Edison and J.P. Morgan grew. In response to Edison's claims against AC power, Tesla invited a bunch of writers, journalists, and scientists to his lab where he donned a metal suit and used his body to transfer huge arcs of lightning from his humming Tesla coils and he did things like light up light bulbs without wires, all without ever being shocked. I guess he knew what he was doing, but in the end, this didn't do much to dissolve his growing mad scientist image. He needed a real world demonstration of a practical achievement, and in 1893, he got his chance. The 1893 Chicago World Expo brought this competition between Tesla and Edison into the public eye in what came to be known as the War of the Currents. This World's Fair was set to be the largest ever, and the theme was centered on the wonders of the modern world. As such, the organizers were committed to lighting and powering the entire 350-acre site and its hundreds of pavilions and exhibitors with electricity. They opened the opportunity to do so for bidding. Edison with General Electric and Tesla with Westinghouse went to work. Edison's bid was in the millions of dollars and it required a large percentage of the grounds to be dedicated to his equipment to power it all with his DC current. Tesla's bid was something like $300,000, took up far less space and provided a much cleaner design Tesla and Westinghouse won the bid and the display they provided was a decisive victory for both Tesla and his AC power system and it is why we still use this system today. As a last ditch effort to sabotage Tesla and Westinghouse, Edison and his lawyers took legal action which prohibited the use of a single Edison light bulb at this event. But Tesla, with just months before the gig, invented a new type of light bulb that used a rubber stopper instead of Edison's metal screw base, and with this, he was able to get around Edison's light bulb patent and move on with the job. 
Tesla also met with some European designers who had been perfecting fluorescent lighting technology, and he commissioned glass blowers to fashion fluorescent lighting tubes in the cursive shapes of famous historical and modern scientists, and these were placed at various locations throughout the World's Fair. These brightly glowing names of his heroes must have stunned the visitors who had, up to that point, only ever seen so much as a kerosene lamplight. Visitors marveled at not only the brightly lit alabaster pavilions and grounds, but they traversed the fair on moving sidewalks, rode Ferris wheels, and were cooled by fans, all powered by Tesla's AC electricity. This was a decisive victory for Tesla, and it could be said that it was the only such clear-cut victory in his life. He went on from this to build the first major hydroelectric power plant that used water funneled from Niagara Falls to run AC electric generators and power the city of Buffalo, New York, and the entire thing worked perfectly, generated millions of watts of power for the city, and did so without a single emission and absolutely no pollution whatsoever. Tesla's AC power plant became a blueprint for the nation and for the world. Eventually, Tesla's brilliance even won over J.P. Morgan, who was, in the final analysis, a businessman and far less vindictive than the jealous Edison, in a side note, Westinghouse Electric eventually struggled to translate their AC power model across the country, and world wars made materials either expensive or non-existent. So amid this slide, Westinghouse approached Tesla and asked him to release Westinghouse from royalties owed to Tesla based on their use of machines created with Tesla's induction motor patents. The argument was that the company would go out of business if they had to pay Tesla his royalties, so Tesla agreed and signed away his claim on the payments. But the stock market soon crashed and Westinghouse went bankrupt anyway. The company went on to reorganize into multiple corporations, among them CBS. In time, JP Morgan actually financed Tesla with $150,000 in 1901 in exchange for 51% of all of Tesla's patents, including future patents, and the deal was that Tesla would build a wireless transatlantic communication system for Morgan. Now, it is interesting that JP Morgan would finance Tesla, someone that he had quarreled with and competitively fought against for years, but remember, it is $150,000, which is a lot of money in 1901, but at the same time, this is the same amount that J.P. Morgan had previously paid for a painting. So Tesla took that money and built Wardenclyffe Tower in New York, which J.P. Morgan thought was part of this new overseas communication system. But in reality, this was Tesla's design to generate electricity using Zenic standing waves. The way this works, essentially, is that one tower generates these waves then transfers them around the globe using electromagnetic frequencies in harmony with the frequencies of the earth and the atmosphere or the space in between them and another tower somewhere else then harvests these waves that can be converted into usable electricity. In this way Tesla wanted to give electrical power to the world 
without wires, without pollution, and in an extremely efficient manner. When JP Morgan found out what Tesla was up to, he took his money back and the short version of the story is that he made sure that Tesla would never work in this city again, or anywhere else really, and as a result, Tesla went broke. Warden Cliff Tower was demolished and sold for scrap, and Tesla dipped from fancy motel to fancy motel, running up bills he never paid, and in the end, he died broke. A genius, but a broke genius nonetheless. And here we get into some deep conspiracy territory. His personal documents were immediately seized by the FBI and the Office of Alien Property in the name of national security, and that was that. It's also ironic that in our modern times, the JP Morgan Investment Bank has fought it out multiple times with Elon Musk's Tesla Corporation suing and countersuing each other for hundreds of millions of dollars. One last note on Tesla's Wardenclyffe Tower and his ideas of using Zenic standing waves to generate and transmit wireless electricity. For a brief moment, there was a glimmer of hope and it seemed like Tesla's concepts might see the modern light of day. A Texas company called Visiv, that's V-I-Z-I-V, Visiv Technologies built a full-sized Wardenclyffe-style Tesla tower in a Texas field people driving along an interstate could see it, can still see it. They published some papers and built a website and claimed to have successfully recreated some of Tesla's experiments. The people at the top of Visiv were retired military brass and people speculated that they had access to some of the confiscated secrets and were off to build a new wireless electrical system to power the globe without wires pollution, EMF radiation, and with a system impervious to damage from storms and natural disasters. Exactly like Tesla had planned. You won't have any trouble finding hundreds of blog posts and articles denouncing Tesla's wireless energy ideas right into the present day, and this, by extension, has grown to include debunking Visiv and their efforts as well. One article I found went to great lengths to make the argument that Tesla, and now Visiv, just didn't understand electricity enough to know that the Wardenclyffe Tower experiments, where Tesla was able to light bulbs across empty distances without wires, was just an effect where these bulbs were grounding out the electromagnetic waves and therefore igniting, which first of all makes no sense, and second of all is almost impossible for me to believe that Tesla wouldn't know that, even if that was what was happening. And thirdly, if this description is true, what difference does it make? Because Tesla is still lighting light bulbs from a distance without wires. But it wasn't until the last third of this very long article that I realized it was sponsored and written by a company that develops and provides geothermal electrical power plant systems. So using natural steam from the earth to produce electricity. The entire article was organized to trash Tesla's ideas of Zenic standing waves, wireless electricity delivery, and thereby discredit the Visiv project and then promote their own geothermal electrical power plant systems. As of this recording, the Visiv website has been reduced to a circular link trap where every page just takes you to their contact page and there's nothing there. 
the company seems to have filed multiple bankruptcies and it's doubtful that we will hear much from them anymore. Too bad. I'd like to see Elon Musk buy the Visiv Tesla Tower and make it work. That would be so cool. If you enjoy listening to Renegade Files and want to help us keep making episodes, there are four ways you can help us do so. One, and the best way, is you can help crowdfund Renegade Files at patreon.com slash renegadefiles. There's a link in the show notes and I'll see you in there. And a huge thank you to everyone who has joined us as a part of the Renegade Files agency on Patreon so far. Cheers. The second way, support the show by getting some Renegade Files gear at our shop. Click the shop link in the show notes or at therenegadefiles.com. The third way, share our website, therenegadefiles.com, with your friends on social media. And the fourth way is review and rate the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Five-star reviews help new listeners find us, so give us a review and a rate if you think Renegade Files deserves it. Thank you so much for coming on this journey of exploration and being a part of Renegade Files. Here is one of my favorite Nikola Tesla quotes. A single ray of light from a distant star falling upon the eye of a tyrant in bygone times may have altered the course of his life, may have changed the destiny of nations, may have transformed the surface of the globe. So intricate, so inconceivably complex are the processes of nature. Tesla also exactly predicted our current internet and wireless smartphone age when he said, quote, When wireless is perfectly applied, the whole earth will be converted into a huge brain, which in fact it is, all things being particles of a real and rhythmic whole. We shall be able to communicate with one another instantly, irrespective of distance. Not only this, but through television and telephony, we shall see and hear one another as perfectly as though we were face to face, despite intervening distances of thousands of miles, and the instruments through which we shall be able to do this will be amazingly simple compared to our present telephone. A man will be able to carry one in his vest pocket. Tesla said this on January 30th, 1926. That's astounding. Other than the fact that few of us wear suit vests anymore, he nailed it. Nikola Tesla was a brilliant scientist and he saw a future where power was clean, limitless, and beneficial. He looked at electrical power, wireless communication, and the human race as being all connected and he was totally right. He was terrible at business and he found himself competing with the men who defined business prowess, at least the turn of the 19th century version of it. They exploited him greedily, slandered him ruthlessly, and ruined him heartlessly. Tesla proved that he was right in every endeavor he ever managed to complete. He never gave up no matter how badly they trashed him and his name. Because of his persistence, AC power did win in the end and we still use it to this day. He built his first AC power plant to harness the flowing water of Niagara Falls, not because that was the easiest way to do it, but because that was the best way to do it. 
and not the best as in the best way to line his pockets, as Edison, Morgan, or Rockefeller would have done, but the best way for the earth and its inhabitants, the best way for preserving the natural world. He made power without coal, without oil, with no pollution whatsoever. Everything he tried and was able to finish worked. But he believed so fully in the practical application of better ideas that he failed to understand the importance of branding, or at least promotion. Now he did say that whether or not a new idea is adopted depends on the readiness of the people to accept it, and he essentially said that if people were ready for a good idea, then the invention moves right into use. But if they aren't into it, it will never see the light of day no matter how good the idea is. So he knew that new idea adoption depends on the readiness of the people to accept it, but he didn't realize the extent to which that readiness can be manufactured. Or he never partnered with the right person who understood that. One person who understood that was J.P. Morgan. When Tesla told J.P. Morgan he was going to make a system to use the earth to propagate a form of electricity that would harm no one, produce no radiation, be free to collect by anyone who put up a receiver without the need for miles of wires made from the copper that Morgan mined, without the generators and batteries that Edison sold, and without a grid to charge people, they broke him for it. We benefit still from everything Tesla was able to complete in his life. Where would we be today as far as energy creation, distribution, pollution, and communication if Tesla had remained in control of all of his patents and found the financing to complete the Wardenclyffe project to its conclusion? Or if his papers had not been confiscated and squirreled away by the FBI and the deep state, but made available in a library for all students, scientists, engineers, and free-thinking entrepreneurs to see. And just like in Tesla's time, the large corporate status quo machine is still at it. I have to say, and perhaps luckily for the truth, nothing is more boring than the ramblings of a corporate shill conspiracy debunker. In my research, I came across an article on Inverse which references a book published by Simon & Schuster and both go to great lengths to assert that, among the many fantastical Tesla inventions which those dreaded conspiracy theorists claim the government stole, all of them are fake. And this fake moniker is their language, not mine. They speak of flying cars and perpetual motion and of course, hoverboards and imply that all conspiracy theorists are dreamy-eyed dimwits. The reality is, however, that few, if any, actual conspiracy theorists speaking about Tesla have ever claimed that the government has and is hiding away any such fully realized inventions. The only place these inventions get mentioned is in media like these agenda-driven debunking articles. Conspiracy theorists only claim that the FBI and U.S. government confiscated Tesla's research documents, 
personal papers and archives immediately following his death, which they fully did. This is not a theory. The article says things like, if you believe everything the internet says about Tesla, dot dot dot, well, the internet isn't a person, and to speak of it as saying anything is just more nebulous generalization, and it's one way that corporate spokespeople marginalize free thinking. This article also goes on to cast Tesla as a showman fraud who stole most of his inventions, and that, quote, virtually every invention attributed to him was really just something he was the first to patent in the United States. This is laughable. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Tesla had lifelong feuds with people who stole his ideas, or with those ahead of whom he had succeeded. One of the most famous of these was Guillermo Marconi, who has been widely credited as the inventor of the radio, even by me in Renegade Files Episode 5, Anonymous and the Birth of Hacktivist Culture. Check that one out. So it's debatable whether Marconi or Tesla first created the radio, but Marconi won the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1909 for his wireless telegraphy machine, which he had patented. He actually shared the prize with Carl Ferdinand Braun. Tesla sued them for infringement, and in 1943, just months after Tesla's death, the Supreme Court actually overturned Marconi's patent in favor of Tesla's. In 2016, the FBI released hundreds of pages they confiscated upon Tesla's death, and yes, I have read through all of them. You can too, and I'll put a link in the show notes to the FBI Freedom of Information page where the Tesla documents are posted so you can see them for yourself. Tesla's documents and effects were seized immediately upon his death by the U.S. Office of Alien Property Custodian, or OAPC, which was originally under the Department of Justice then later the Treasury Department, and it was created during World War I and continued through World War II to control assets of foreign enemies seized on U.S. soil. The fact that Tesla was, by the time of his death, a naturalized U.S. citizen became then, and still is today, a source of controversy. The question being if the U.S. Office of Alien Property Custodian had the authority to seize Tesla's work. At this stage, it's a moot point because they did it anyway, and in fact, much of the first several documents in the 2016 FBI release are internal FBI and DOJ memos debating this very point. In the end, they decided among themselves that any advanced tech that Tesla may have in his things could constitute a national security threat, so they went ahead and took his stuff and hid it away. It is possible that they were right. As far as I can tell, this operation was conducted jointly between the FBI and the OAPC. So now we have his documents, or at least we have the documents released to us in 2016 by the FBI. Going through them, you realize very quickly that this cache of three PDFs, which amounts to hundreds of pages, isn't at all what you were expecting, or at least it wasn't what I was expecting. Mostly what is here are letters going back and forth between citizens asking for Tesla's documents and the FBI replying to say, in effect, we don't have them, we never did, it's the OAPC who has them. There are many of these exchanges. 
Now, whether or not the OAPC then answered these people if they wrote them, we don't know. Most of those writings seem to be students and scientists and otherwise unknown subjects because much of what's here is still redacted. This back and forth between people asking for Tesla's documents and the FBI denying they have or ever had the documents goes on for the majority of Packet 1. Then finally, they start to say if we did have them, we couldn't release them. Then finally, in 2016, they say, okay, we actually do have them. Here you go. Then we get a three-packet release, and the first third of it are letters from people asking for Tesla's papers for decades and the FBI saying they don't have them for decades. Then they release them under the Freedom of Information Act. First of all, we have no way of knowing how complete this release is. We would never know if there are things they just did not release. Beyond the request and deny letters, we get more of what I would call fluff. Because most of what remains still isn't made up of documents from Tesla himself, but rather FBI documents about Tesla. There are letters to and from J. Edgar Hoover about the potential national security threats to consider if the wrong person got their hands on whatever they had taken from Tesla's things. Reading these letters, you realize that they were specifically concerned about Tesla's nephew, Sava Kosanovich, who had actively tried to get the papers back. Letters to Hoover cast suspicion on Kosanovich and those in charge believed he would give any valuable technology described in the Tesla papers to the Russians. This is probably one of the main reasons these documents were sealed away in the first place. When we finally do get to Tesla's own documents, much of what's there is very hard to read. These are photographs of old handwritten journals, and still much of that is redacted. There certainly aren't any detailed mechanical drawings for a free energy device. Now, that's not to say no such things existed in his papers, but none of that is here. The things we do have from Tesla himself in the release documents amount to Tesla bragging about his wireless energy devices and how they were going to change the world. He goes on at length to say how great it will be when anyone in any out-of-the-way place can put up a Tesla receiver and plug in a whole town and get electricity without a wired grid. He seemed to believe that the ancient Egyptians or cultures older still may have understood the same things he was working on and that the pyramids could have been elaborate Tesla towers, if you will. He also fully believed in the possibility or even the obvious probability of aliens existing, but to him, this was a mere matter of mathematical certainty. He said, quote, Most certainly some planets are not inhabited, but others are, and among these there must exist life under all conditions and phases of development. Unquote. He also said, it would be stupid of us to assume that we have the corner on all the intelligence in the universe. So in the end, Nikola Tesla was many things. A prolific inventor, relentless problem solver, and by all accounts, a genius. He may have been maligned by his competitors and cast by them into the image of a dangerous madman. 
but Tesla was respected and admired by many of his contemporaries, especially those in the scientific community. Albert Einstein was once asked what it felt like to be the smartest man in the world, to which Einstein replied, I don't know, you'd have to ask Nikola Tesla. Thank you sincerely for joining Renegade Files and coming with me to explore the world of Nikola Tesla. Subscribe and follow the show now, and if you already do, share the podcast with a friend who might also like what we do here. I'm glad to have you in the Renegade Files crew. I am your host, Lex Gordon. Stay wild, dragon child.